You are listening to the Advent teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series seeks to address the empty promises of religion and express the life that Jesus offers as we celebrate his birth. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Everybody feeling good? Everybody feeling thankful? Full? Regretful, maybe? Too much? No. Never. I, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I personally think Thanksgiving gets hosed a little bit. I think it gets overshadowed by Christmas. Like Christmas is, you know, it's just like it's not, you know, there's like, you know Christmas is, is it's, there's no respect for Thanksgiving. It's like, you know, it's like people can't wait till Friday. In fact, they don't even wait till Friday. They just Christmas starts way before Thanksgiving. It's just kind of like this, I think it should get, it's like a slap in the face really to Thanksgiving personally, I think. And uh, it, I heard someone say that that uh, Thanksgiving is the John the Baptist of holidays. It's just it's a predecessor of something much greater. And so, little Bible humor. So the um, but it, it is true. I mean, there's something about this year that that causes us to like really I don't know. It draws us into something. Um, uh, people begin to celebrate way way much sooner. I mean, we, we the anticipation of, involved. In Thanksgiving, I mean, I think, you know, I think if, if Lord lets me live 60 years, I mean, my grandkids, they'll be, um, they'll be celebrating Christmas in July. Uh, it'll be like Happy Independence Day and Merry Christmas. You know, it'll be that kind of a thing. It'll just be keep pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. Uh, but culturally, we're, we're drawn into it. And I just got to put my cards on the table. Like, I'm in there too. Like, I love it. Uh, I was a hard nut to crack, but my wife got me there. And so right now, like you'll you'll hear well, not right the second, but if you go to my house, there's Christmas music playing. I mean, like the real none of the like cover fake stuff. Like there's no like in fact, if you have like Miley Cyrus Christmas or something like that, you just you can't be at this church. And so you've got to. <laughs> um, we'll find you. We have our ways. And so we um, you could do anything on the internet. And so we. Um, but it's warm. I'm there. So the music is playing. Uh, the music is switched over. The tree is up. Decorations are out. A uh, smell of pine in the air. It's, it's happening at my house. It's happening. It, it's out there. And uh, there is something about this uh, season that draws us all in. But the kind of the ugly reality no one likes to talk about with all the Christmas cheer happening right there. There's, there's, an, there's kind of this ugly edge to it. Uh, there's something called uh, the Christmas blues. And... Um, it's, t- it's totally real. Um, I googled it. And there's all kinds of just thought, depression. There's things, something called the Christmas hangover. Not the hangover after Christmas. That's another message. But like the Christmas hangover. It's just, it's when unbridled expectations about what the holidays will bring meets reality. And it's, it's not a good intersection. And so right now you're going to start to get pummeled with all kinds of things. In fact, this warning is coming a little late. It's already happening. It's already, it's already out there. Um, about the, you know, what a family should look like, this cliche of what a family should look like, and what happens uh, when, on Christmas morning when, when friends come together and, and when you get the, the gift that you want and you get bombarded with this. And our, you know, it's where you know, sadness turns to joy and loneliness turns to, into togetherness. And uh, it, it, it brings us to this place really expectations are through the roof. And you're just going to get pummeled with this. I want to give us a little bit of a warning here this morning because the truth is, is that sometimes the holidays don't bring families together. 
Or sometimes they do bring families together only to like drop a grenade in the middle of all of it and testimonies. And so we, there, it's out there. Um, it's out there. It's, it's not always good. And sometimes those of us are just a terribly lonely season because we don't have the families that we want. Or maybe we did have the families we want and they're gone and it's just a really lonely um, season. And this is what happens when this unbridled expectation and reality hit. This is what happens. And because I'm for you, I'm for your joy, I want to chat about this a little bit and get underneath what, what this is all about. Because uh, there's a reason why our hearts chase after these things. There's a, there's a reason why we want to believe in these things. There's a reason why we get all, uh, this, why we go crazy during this season. And it's what Colossians 2.16 is about. That was read, but let me read it again. Uh, Paul writes this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow to the things that come. So let me just say with these festivals, you know, we get all into Christmas and it's already started and maybe for some it started before, but regardless, they, they, the Israelites, the people of God, Read about this in the Old Testament. They had 50 days of commanded parties that they gave like 10% of their income to. They were into these parties, these, these 50 days, and they all pointed to something. They all were demonstrating something. But what ended up happening is they forgot about what the parties were for, and they just, it was just about having the party. And so what he's saying is like, hey, don't, don't get all into these festivals, new moons. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Christ, who we can't see at the moment, what, what Paul's saying is it, it's casting a shadow over our lives. It's casting a shadow into our reality that we can see. There are things that God has given us uh, that point us back to the substance, but they're not the substance. They're just a shadow. Let me explain what I'm talking about. So like if you were if you, a good suspense movie, to kind of build the anticipation, they're going to show you the shadow of something before they show you the something. And so you may, I don't know what movie, they're all the same. But like you see a, um, a plane, you know, instead of, a, you know, when they'll show like New York City and they'll show the shadow of this spacecraft, alien spacecraft, coming over New York City before they show the spacecraft. And when the shadow comes, everyone gets really scared. Why? Because shadows are scary? No, because a shadow is pointing to some, a bigger reality. And Paul's saying that. Paul's saying, and these things that you're getting all been out of shape about, they're shadows, and these shadows point to growth. So don't, don't chase the shadows, chase the substance. And God has given these things in his mercy and grace, actually, all over the place. I'll just give you two examples before we get into what I want to say about Christmas. There's, God has given us, he has written something on our hearts. Uh, the language of Ecclesiastes is that he's written eternity on our hearts. He's, he's put his imprint on our hearts to make, to make us follow the things that he wants us to follow, even though cognitively we don't believe. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Romans 2 says this. Romans 2 verse 14 says, For when Gentiles, and Gentiles, by the way, is just people who are not Hebrew. So that's all it is. We're all Gentiles. Unless you're Hebrew, I guess. Um, for when, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they don't have the law. Let me explain what that means. Basically what he's saying is like even people who don't believe in God follow the, follow the law instinctively. 
And then verse 15 says why, and this is very important. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse them. Now, what's he saying there? Well, let me, let me give you an example. So Romans 1 comes in and says that everybody knows who God is, right? There is no, I don't know God. Everybody knows God has made a plane, it says. And God has cast all these shadows out into the world to point back to him. Everybody knows God, but there, there, there are two things that we do with this truth of God. Is that some worship God in light of that truth, and others suppress that truth. And they, they create a framework, a reality, to help them deal with that truth. Uh, even though that, the reality that they come up with conflicts with their conscience. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So like, well, I don't believe that God is... God created the world. I don't, be, I'm be, I don't believe that he made me. He has no right to my life. He hasn't created me. He hasn't designed me. Um, he, I, I, am, I exist for some other reason. I exist because of an evolutionary pr- process. I believe that over um, thousands of millions of years that, that through survival of the fittest, the strong eating the weak, that I exist. But then we watch the news, same person watches the news, sees what's happening in Syria and says, hey, whoa, whoa, we got to do something about that. Well, why? Well, because the strong are eating the weak. But wait a minute, that's how we got here. And apparently this is just how the world works. But there's something in our conscience that says, no, 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 that's not the way it should be. The strong shouldn't eat the weak. The strong should fight for the weak. And so there's this conflict in our conscience and what we say is true in our minds. That's just a shadow over our lives. Pointing, this, this, this thing we call conscious is pointing us back to Christ. Or, or marriage. Marriage is a, is a huge shadow pointing us back to Christ. I mean, why is it that a 13, 14-year-old boy goes hormonal and like all this, in one moment he's interested in trucks and transformers and mud pies and now all of a sudden, you know, girls are like, you know, who, girls are annoyance and all of a sudden he's like, hey, wait a minute, I want one of those. So now he's showering, he's wearing cologne, he's, something's changed. I mean, something's different. And he begins to chase after what's happening there. It's what um, Jesus says. Genesis says it as well. Says that for this reason, this boy, this man should leave his father's house. I'm going to change this. I'm going to get him out. I wanted him to stay for a season, but now I want him out. He should leave his family and he should cleave to his wife. That he should love her sacrificially. He should... Uh, chase her down. He should die for her. He should, he should give his life for her. And that picture is a shadow of a greater reality of Jesus Christ who chases us, who pursues us, who lays down his life for us sacrificially. So there's all these shadows that get cast out into our world that we don't the shadows are great, but they're only great because they point us to a greater substance. And I think I just got to give this warning in this season that there are all these shadows in Christmas to not get all amped about the shadow but to, and not to chase the shadows, but to chase the substance. Now, let me just say, man, enjoy the shadow, you know, play the music, uh, give the gifts, decorate, whatever. 
but we're meant to, we are created to enjoy the substance and not just, it's like, you know, you go to a really nice restaurant and they always, you know, always throw that bread out there that, that you could eat as much as you want and you're hungry and it's just accessible. It's just there and it's easy and, and it's cheap. And then you, if you're a fool, you'll end up eating the whole, all the bread. And then when the, like the steak and the lobster comes out, you're too full to, to even touch it. We can get all amped about what's right in front of us, the shadow. Oh, and gobble it all up. And then, but, but have no appetite for what the, the real substance. We're not holding out for what is better. And I, I want to help us get underneath that. So there's two, there's four things about Christmas. There's more than four, but there's four that I want to point out that I think that are shadows that point to a greater reality of Christ that I hope we uh, get to this year. When I think about Christmas, I think uh, the I- anticipation for this event is like no other. I mean, even more than New Year's. That we, it even has a countdown on that. I mean, there's a, the anticipation around Christmas is massive. Parents are gearing up. Businesses are gearing up. Kids are looking at the calendar daily, shaking the box. You know, can I open it? You know, they, they're wanting to know. I mean, we got our tree yesterday. We're making our list. We're checking it twice. We're doing all that. The anticipation we feel for for Christmas, though, is a shadow of a much bigger reality. There's something even greater that we anticipate. So when we're drawn in and like, why am I anticipating this day so much? Why am I preparing days in advance, weeks in advance, even months in advance for this one day? What am I anticipating? I don't know. I'm just anticipating this day. There's a, it's a shadow that points to a greater reality. What's the greater reality? The fact that, that Jesus is coming back. The fact that there, that there should be an anticipation, it should awaken our souls and our appetite, not just for this celebration of Christ's first coming, which is amazing, but actually Christ's second coming, where, where Revelation and other parts in scriptures talk about this um, marriage, this wedding supper of the Lamb, this amazing party called heaven, that we should be anticipating that. Over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus is like, hey, be ready. You better, be, you better get ready. Just like at Christmas, like, man, you've got to get ready, man. It's, it's almost December. You've got to get that tree. You've got to get those lights up. You've got to get the gear. You've got to do all these things. You've got to get ready for that day. Jesus in the name was like, you've got to get ready because I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So he tells all these parables. One of those parables, uh, parables of the ten virgins, which I won't have time to explain all of what's happening here, but... On the surface here, it says, and while they're there, so there's two groups. And then he's going to talk about the first group and the second group. The first group, he says, and while they were going to buy, um, the, the br- bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with them to the marriage feast. So those who were ready, those who were anticipating that great day, they were ready. And so they came in. And here's something kind of scary. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins who didn't get themselves ready came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, I know some of you may be ready for Christmas, but let me ask you, are you ready for the Lord's return? Are you ready for that? It's a legit question. It's an important question. Are you anticipating and preparing for his return? Um, Ephesians 5.15 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How many here want to be unwise? Anybody? Okay, how many here want to be wise? 
Yes. Okay, so we'll read on. Make, so if you want to be wise, this is what you do. You make the best use of time because the days are ev- evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. We already agree we don't want to be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. That you get ready for this. Over and over again, it's like, be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. Prepare. How do we prepare? Well, how do you prepare for Christmas? One of the things we do for, at Christmas to prepare is we decorate. We, you know, there may be a tree, there may be some lights, there may be a wreath. If you're sane, if you're not sane, you just like flood every square inch of your house with lights. You put plastic stuff in your yard. You, people with minivans come and watch you put stuff. I mean, it just like becomes this big spectacle. But we all decorate, whether we do a little bit or a lot. Let me just propose this. As you do this, as you begin to decorate your environment, let me ask you this question. How are you decorating your life? How are you... So my wife, she puts all this different stuff in the house to change our environment. To decorate the house, to make the house look... How are you decorating your life? Well, this is what it says in Romans 13. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? It says, put on then, it says this in Colossians 3 actually, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So put on compassion. Decorate your house with lights and wreaths and all kinds of things. How does a Christian decorate his or her life? Decorates with compassion, with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I'll read on. It's not on the screen, but I'll read on. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint with one another, anybody here, don't have to donate names. Don't look at the person to your left or your right. Does anybody here have a complaint about someone else? Anybody have a complaint about someone else? How do you put on Christ? You forgive them. As... The Lord has forgiven you. How many here want the Lord to forgive you as you forgive others? Not me. I've got some work to do. Above all this, put on love which binds everything together. So we could decorate our lives. Decorations that you see people preparing for, for Christmas. They, they, they're, they're preparing for something. So they're decorating. They're changing their environment. I want to urge us to, to decorate our lives. So you see, you see door frames adorned with garland. Adorn your life with compassion. Adorn it with love and humility and kindness. You, know, you walk into our house and there's this fragrance of Christmas, whatever Christmas smells like. That's what our house smells like. There's this aroma. When you walk into a room, is there an aroma of Christ? When you, when you see decorations, you're like, oh yeah, I got I to gotta put on Christ today. When you smell the aroma of pine, I, I, w- I want to reflect the aroma of Christ. And then of course there's gift giving. This is where we go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. This is a holiday, holiday retail sales in the USA were $630 billion last year. It's a lot of money. Nearly 50% of Americans use consumer debt to afford their purchases, and more than 70% of that debt was, they said, was necessary to give their friends and family for the gifts they wanted. 
For what? To end up in a landfill in six months? Year and a half? If it's in my house and it makes noise, like tomorrow, like I don't <laughs> want anything that makes noise. Don't give, don't want that. Now, gift giving is a good thing, if not a great thing. It's, it's a good thing to give gifts. But in fact, it's even, it's, it's not just good to give, it, it's really good to receive. I mean, the, re- the whole Christian life is about receiving, not achieving. It's, it's learning to, like, receive the grace that God has given us. Not to be self-made, not to be self-righteous, but to be, but to be God-made and God-righteous. To, be, to, to, to learn to receive that from Him. It's a good thing. So when we're, but there's something behind our, like, massive desire to, to want to, 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 in this gift, because it's not about generosity. Like said, it's not about generosity. We, I mean, we spent $630 billion last year during the retail season. For the entire year, we, we gave to all charities $360 billion. All, not just church, all charities, $360 billion. So it's not because we're generous. That's not it. But there's something driving it's like, well, there, there's something I need to get out of giving the people around me a gift. So it'll make me feel better, look better, whatever it is. Well, that didn't work, so maybe I needed to give more gifts. So the, the spending goes up. And then the spending gets into this place to where we're, we're going into debt for it. There's something driving us, compelling us to do this. Gift giving is a good thing, if not a great thing. But we need to remember in this season that it points us to the greatest gift of all. Which is Jesus. So what is John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. That he gave his son for us. He gave it. He gave his son for us. And the, and when we're passing around gifts, and giving gifts and buying gifts, the question I want is like in, in my life, am I receiving this gift? And what about my? What in my life is reflecting that this? That I think that this is the greatest gift of all. What in my life is reflecting? that I think God is the owner of everything and that he's, he's given me his righteousness and I don't have to go out and make something of myself because he's made something of me. I don't have to do that. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I don't have to prove anything to myself because he's proven that for me. And we have a, we have a really hard time with this. One of, and God knows this. So one of the things that God said um, early on to his people, he said, look, you're going to mess this up. You're going to forget that I, I own everything generally and specifically. You're, you're going to forget about, so I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you something. So I, I give you everything. I give you 100%. And he gave us something called the tithe, which is 10%. He said, okay, I give you 100%. And I want you to set aside 10% for me. Your first, your best, your first 10%. To speak to your heart and to sp- that you never ever forget that I have, that I own it all and I give it all. This isn't for me. In fact, people say, well, push back there. It's like, well, you know, God is after my money. Look, man, if, if he needs something, he's not going to ask you. I mean, you can't even pay your bills. He's not going to come asking you for money. 
He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. He owns, the, he owns everything. He doesn't need this. You need, this is something that he put for us to, as, to, as a reminder, as a thing to say, okay, this is how my life works. That he owns everything and everything, every perfect gift comes from the Father. Everything comes from him. And so, and if, so if this isn't a, if, if there isn't a, if you're, a, if you're not a Christian here, this isn't for you. You can go back to sleep. But this, for those of you who are, are Christians here, this is something he's given us to remind us of this reality. And where this isn't true in your life, you have forgotten. You have forgotten that everything comes from him. Let me sh- and this is something that you need to do. This is something also you need, I want to encourage you to teach your kids to do. And this is the best thing that we've done as parents. We, have, we give our kids a give jar. We give them a save jar. And we give them a spin jar. And every time they get money, every time we give them money, every time they get money from somewhere else, every time someone gives them a gift that makes noise, we take it back and get the cash. And we... We, and we get it in denominations of 10. We say, okay, look, the first 10%. So we, we teach them the reality of who, the first 10%, you, you put in this jar, first 10%. So you got 10 dimes, one dime goes here. $10, one dollar goes here. If you get, you know, $100, it's where did you get $100? And so we, uh, <laughs> so the first 10% here, go, the second 10% goes in a saved, say save, 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 there you go. That's another message. The, and then you have the spin jar. So you, you give the first 10%, you save the second 10%, and then you, have, then you have the, you can spend whatever you want. Now my kids, first of all, they've learned to enjoy giving and they've learned to enjoy saving uh, much more than, than I expected. But here's the best thing. This is, this is the real reason why they do that. Um, they, you ask any one of my kids where something came from. And they will tell you it came from. You say, where, where did the lights come from? Where did that sign come from? Where did those blue jeans come from? Where did that Toyota come from? They'll say it all came from God. God makes everything. Because of something that God had gave us a long time. This is not for, this is not for him. Not some grumpy old man counting all his coins, cackling at us up in the sky. It's not the picture. He knows your heart. He knows your heart better than you know your heart. And he says, you need this. You need this to remind you of where everything comes from. And so I want to encourage, I want to implore you in the midst of crazy gift giving, which is good. It's good to be good to give. It's good to receive. Receive with a glad heart. Give with a glad heart. And, you know, we've got little one-time things about, you know, the Christmas storm. And do all those kinds of one-off things. But in your life, take this season to not chase shadows, but to chase substance and come under this, put something in your life. Put something in your kid's life for those of us who are parents. I mean, this is the, I mean, this is the best thing that we've done as parents, I think. Um, and it, it's an idea that comes from God. We just bought the jars at Target. I mean, we didn't really do anything. We just put marker on it. I mean, but the, it's helped them. And it's helped us because guess what? As we put the, it, it reminds us that this is something that we need to be doing as well. Anyway, changing your habits there. And then finally, when I think of Christmas, I think of parties. Parties before Christmas, parties on Christmas, parties after Christmas. And the reason why we party is because we are celebrating. 
If you are a business, if you ask, you know, why are you selling? Well, we had a good year. If you ask a young 20-something single person, why are you selling? Oh, my, my friends. If you ask a mother, why are you celebrating? My family. We all celebrate something. And then parties are great because they reflect. There's something in your life that will make you dance. There's something in your life that will make you sing. There's something in your life that will make you look a little foolish among others. I don't know what that is, but if there's something that you will celebrate. You know what heaven's celebrating? You want to know? It tells us in the Bible, Luke 15. There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. You know what heaven has that you and I don't? There's a lot of things, but one thing in particular. Heaven has perspective. Perspective of time, perspective of value, perspective of reality. These are things that we have a very, very poor perspective on. Heaven sees it all. It sees eternity past. It sees eternity future. It sees value. It sees time. And with this perspective, the thing that he- that gets heaven to dance, that gets heaven to shout, that gets heaven to celebrate, is when someone who is far away from God finds their way back home. Let me ask you a question. What are you leveraging your life for? What are you celebrating? What is it in your life that would cause you to dance and cause you to sing and cause you to celebrate? How, what is it? Because you can have lots of interests, but you get one passion. What is it that you are leveraging your time, leveraging your days, leveraging your dollars, leveraging your energy, leveraging your passion? What is it that you're leveraging? What is it that you're celebrating? You see, in that parable, I, I thought the scariest part of that parable I read was remember when it said the door shut? Remember when it said that? The door's not shut now, though. Doors, the door's open. So you've got these ten versions. Five prepared, anticipated, pursued. Five didn't. Door was open to both. Door's open right now. We live in a season of grace where the doors of heaven on the cross, when, it was, when he said it's finished and he rose from the grave, Jesus kicked, kicked the door open to anybody who wants to come, anybody who would, who would admit that their, that their way is terrible and come, follow, you, come on in. Door is open. But the, now, now, some people take that grace of God, the fact that, hey, he's opened this wide open to us as, um, we know, what's the matter with God? You know, he's sleeping on the job. Like, you know, I'm suffering. I've got so much pain in my life. You know, I've got this. I've got this sickness. I've got this disease. I, you know, I don't. I'm not making the money I want. I'm not, I don't have the family I want. What's wrong with? Hey, if there's really a God up there, He'd be acting a little quicker here. You know what I'm saying? But this, Peter says it. He says, look, look, "Look, God's not slow, as some of you think. Here's what He is. He's patient and He's kind, desiring that none perish. Because if He if He was to ever close the door." and call it a day and end the suffering and end the evil. Those who are in would be in and those who would be out would be out forever. God is not slow. God is not 
unaware of your pain. If you're a Christian, if you're in a place of pain, I want to encourage you to get your, your eyes off of yourself and onto Jesus. And when you get your eyes onto Jesus, your life begins to take a new shape to it. And you begin to care about what heaven cares about. You begin to care what Jesus cares about. You know what his number one mission was in life? It says it here again, Luke 19.10. should be no surprise. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Period. That's what he came to do. That's what he leveraged his life for. It's all, he, it's all he was focused on, was doing that one thing. What about you? What are you leveraging your days and your dollars for? I want to encourage us in this season to not chase shadows, but to chase the substance, which is Christ. When we were, we, we bought this building in 2006, and we remodeled it for nine months. It was the long nine, longest nine months of my life. And... Um, we got an architect, and they made these plans for this, the remodel of this. I mean, this, was, I mean, this was, room was ha- a third of the size. The ceilings were about 10 feet. I mean, it was just it was totally different. And we got the, I got these plans on my computer screen. I used to look at the plans for this building three or four times a week. I was so amped about these plans. I could begin to think about what, you know, what the place would look like and what would happen once we got in here and all the things that would happen. I, got am- I mean, I was just like, you know, like, like Rachel would know what was ha- if I came out with this, I was like, oh, he must have just looked at the plans for the building because he's so excited. <laughs> now, when the building was finished, I didn't keep like looking at the plans of the building. I didn't keep like, wow, they, I did, that'd be stupid because like, the building's here. I can... I don't have to look on a piece of paper that show me about um, the building's right here and I can enjoy the building. I can go in the building. I don't have to, I don't have to look at these plans anymore. Same thing with shadow and substance. The shadow of Jesus, the shadow of Jesus, he cast a shadow on our lives, but his, he is here. You don't have to chase shadows this Christmas. You don't have to come up feeling empty. You don't have to Put your hopes and dreams into the perfect family or the perfect gift or the perfect whatever. Because the perfect, the only one who's perfect has come. Don't chase shadows this Christmas. Chase the substance.